0: King Who provides protection and all that earthly kings provide, but there's also responsibility within a kingdom, and so you can't just do whatever you want. you can't just do your own thing because the king is the one who is in charge, and so you live according to the guidelines of the king. so uh, God always intended to be the king of his people. Now, don't get confused here. We know that God reigns and rules over the whole universe. But that's different than the kingdom of God that Jesus came to establish here on earth. The kingdom of God, in this sense, is his people. And in the Old Testament, God wanted and intended to be the king over his people. But the people of Israel came to Samuel, and they asked him, Appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. They wanted to be like the other nations. They wanted to be like the world around them. And then when Samuel came to God and he says, what am I going to do with this request? Here was God's response. Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. So the people of Israel, in their quest to be like the others, wanted a king. And God says, okay, you want a king? I'll give you a king. And so for the next thousand years, from the time of King Saul until the the coming of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus, the people lived under the rule and guidance of an earthly king. As you read, you know that story. More often than not, it was not a good time. In fact, if you'll turn in your Bibles, I'm not going to put this up on the screen, because every once in a while you have to look in your Bible, okay? Galatians 4, 3. Here's how Paul describes that time when they were under the king. In Galatians 4.3, he says, In the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. When you're not under the guidance of a real king, someone who can give you good guidance and good direction for your life. Paul says, We were enslaved to the rudimentary or elementary things of this world. But now look at what God's plan is in verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to what? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So now Jesus comes and he's preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. And here it is. We are no longer enslaved to these elementary things of the world, but through Jesus, we are born again into the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus said to Nicodemus. You cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. We are born again into the kingdom of God, and now we live under the guidance and direction of the King. So we need to understand that when Jesus establishes his kingdom, though, it's not a physical kingdom. Remember what he said to Pilate? My kingdom is not of this world. So we're not establishing some physical nation. We're not establishing some physical uh, arena in which God is, Jesus is now a king. It's, it's, It's a way of life. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of acting. It's a way of living. The kingdom of God says, I surrender to you, King Jesus, and I will live according to the commandments and principles that you have given me in my life. So here's where the rubber hits the road. If you or any of us, the reason for becoming a Christian was just to get saved you only understood one half of the message that Jesus came to proclaim. You hear that? And so, as Peter said on the day of Pentecost, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you have crucified, both and at the same time Lord and Christ. So when we decide to become followers of Jesus, when we decide that we want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, we need to take into consideration both of those aspects. Yes, through Jesus, our sins are forgiven, but also he is our king. And now we surrender to the king and his will and his purpose for our lives this is important as a foundational understanding as the key of making disciples okay when we decide to make a disciple of Jesus that disciple of Jesus not only recognizes Jesus as his savior but he also recognizes Jesus as his king and so what do you say <clears throat> when a king says go what do you say to the king? Where? When? How? Here am I, Lord. Send me. And is that just for the apostles? Is that just for the staff? Is that just for those who have gone to cemetery, seminary? It's for everybody, right? It's God's people being sent on a mission to change the world in which we live, and to help people surrender to King Jesus. So that's a fundamental understanding, I think. Now, the second thing we want to look at is the verse 38. Look back at verse 38. Now we're going to go back to the beginning and see the therapeutic work of Jesus. Okay, verse 38, Jesus enters Peter's house where his mother-in-law has a debilitating fever. And the Bible says that those present appeal to Jesus to help her, and he rebukes, he confronts, he assesses a judgment on that fever, and he says, be gone. And the fever leaves her, and immediately she is healed. And so that healing, that therapeutic, which is the Greek word for healing from which we get therapeutic, this work of Jesus, this therapeutic hand of Jesus, sets the stage for what happened next. She immediately got up and began to serve the people in her house. So the kingdom of God, this therapeutic work of God through Jesus in the, and the apostles was, was what the church was born out of. So we read here in Luke chapter 4 that Jesus, they brought many people to Jesus, many people came to Jesus, and he healed them all. People who were demon-possessed came to Jesus. And I was reading through this, I got to thinking, who were these many people that were demon-possessed? They were the Jews. The people of God. The Jews, the people of God, were demon possessed. And I said, What's going on here, Lord? And, and, and that word possessed is, is, a, is a wide range that could mean oppressed, possessed. And so, what we are saying here, and what I believe the Bible is teaching us, is God's people do not have to worry about being possessed. But we are always constantly being oppressed by the enemy. And that's why we need to pray for each other. We need to pray for deliverance, for help, for the Holy Spirit to give us what we need to, to, to get over, to have victory over the oppressive work of the devil in our lives. Because he's constant. Now what James says, like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Jesus comes along, he has authority, he has power over those who are sick and those who are demon-possessed. So the kingdom of God was born out of this therapeutic healing work of God through Jesus Christ, and God continues to do that today. So here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to close your eyes and just hear, hear these words again that I know we have heard many, many times. Isaiah 53, four and five. This is the work of Jesus. Just hear these words. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds, we are healed. With the wounds of Jesus on the cross, you and I have been healed. Isn't that great news? That's why it's the news that brings joy because it's not just the miraculous power and the work of Jesus that we read about in the Bible. It's the miraculous and the power of the work of Jesus that is at work in the world today, redeeming people and bringing him into the kingdom of God. We have been healed. We have been been set free through the blood of Jesus. So can you imagine, just think with me a, a minute, can you imagine to have been there at at Peter's house when that miracle took place? Or have you ever been in a situation where somebody has been miraculously healed? It's amazing. It's very powerful. If If you don't know, just talk to Christina. We heard her testimony. And a powerful work of God to set her free. My daughter Tammy, our daughter Tammy was diagnosed with a a brain tumor several years ago. And she she started having headaches and went to the emergency room and and they discovered this tumor. And they didn't even let her go back home. They put her immediately in the hospital and they said, we have to do surgery. But she testifies to the fact that God gave her great peace right there in the hospital. And the neurosurgeon had, this is in Brazil, had actually studied in the US, knew about a machine that was not available in Brasilia, but was available in Sao Paulo, so they had it flown up to Brasilia. And this machine allowed him to do surgery and take out the majority of that tumor, but any time he got close to any part of her brain that was going to be debilitating to her, it beeped and he stopped. Isn't that amazing? And she made a commitment to God while before the surgery, she said, God, if you will set me free from this tumor, I will be your voice. I will testify to everyone that will listen of great your great power. God set her free. And if you are ever anywhere near my our daughter, Tammy, be ready for an hour. Because she's going to tell you what God did in her life. But you know what, folks? God has done it. He's done it in your life. He's done it in my life. So I want to challenge you this afternoon. Today is the Lord's Day, right? This is the day we can take more time and meditate on God. I want to challenge you this afternoon to sit down, take some time, and think about all the therapeutic work that God has done in your life. Because it is the fountain of service to him. When we can realize, if nothing more than the fact that I was lost, I was on the road of destruction, and Jesus spoke to my heart, and his blood cleansed me from all unrighteousness. Isn't that a foundational belief for us to say, oh yeah, God. Oh, yes, Lord, I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to do your work, whatever that is. So it brings us to the third element, which is here in verse uh, 39. She immediately got up and began to serve them. Her response to the therapeutic touch of Jesus was to get up and to begin to serve others. When we truly understand Jesus as our King and His therapeutic touch in our lives, our response is or should be a desire to serve Him in whatever way He wants us to. I was recently asked by a church in Brazil the leaders of which we, Naji and I, mentor, to study the idea of deacons in the Bible, in the New Testament. So I dug in. I found that the verb form and the noun forms of this word are used over 100 times in the New Testament. But only two or three times is it used to refer to To the actual deacon, the function of deacon in the church. All the other times, over 95 times, this verb or this noun refers to the work of God's people in his kingdom. Because that word that's translated deacon is the word to serve, to minister. Paul calls himself a servant, when he doesn't call himself a slave, he calls himself at least a servant, a deacon of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we go to Ephesians 4, and this one I have up here for us, what is the work of the leadership in the church? To equip the saints for the work of what? You can say it, it's okay. We're, we're family here today. Ministry. You know what that word is? Deacon. All of us have been called to God for the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, so so are there deacons in the church then? Yes. It, 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 Paul gives a qualification of deacons in the church. And their ministry, I've come to this conclusion, you... Uh, you can think about it too, they are the ones who are leading the ministry, overseeing that ministry. For example, we have here Maddie, and she is leading the ministry of worship, and she has other people in that ministry, and all of them are ministers, whether they're playing this thing down here, whatever you call it, or a guitar or whatever else they're playing, whether they're singing... They're all ministering, are they not? And they're all ministers in God's kingdom, but she's the deaconess that's overseeing that ministry. Karen and I are the deacons that oversee the ministry of community care. And I have a feeling there are a lot more deacons in this church that need to be recognized because they're overseeing ministries. But we are all to be ministers. And Jesus himself, this, this Jesus that we are following, what did he say? For the Son of Man came not to be what? Not to be served. Not to be deaconed. I just made that up, but that's okay. Not to be served, but to what? Serve. Jesus uses this word, he says, I'm here to deacon you. I'm here to serve you. Just like you need to be ready to serve me and others. It's a very interesting word in the New Testament. But we have all been called to serve. And and it, I forgot, oh yeah. Do you remember that famous saying of former president JFK? I remember exactly where I was the day that he was shot. I was coming up the steps going into our Bible college when somebody came down and said, President Kennedy has just been shot. But before he was shot, what did he say? It's not what you can do for your country, but what? what your It's not what your country can do for you. Let's get it right. But it's what you can do for your country. So let's apply that principle to what the Bible is saying here. It's not what the church can do for you, but it's what you can do for the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Are you in there? So it's, it's not what the church can provide for you. This, unfortunately, we're in... You know why Jesus said it's very hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven? Because the more we have, the more independent we become. The more we have, unfortunately, the more selfish and self-centered we become. Jesus knew that. Jesus said there's a great danger in, in, in wealth. And so what happened in America, and what we became very consumeristic. We go to the restaurant that treats us right. If they don't treat us right, we're not going back. We'll go to this store and buy something here. If they don't treat us right, we don't go back. We'll go to the church that provides us the most. And if we don't get the most from that church, we'll go somewhere else. Pretty self-centered, wouldn't you say? And yet Jesus said, I came here not to be served, but to serve, not only to serve, but to give my life. As a ransom for many. But the motivation behind it all is not a legalistic put your sign name on the paper. The motivation behind it all is number one Jesus is our King and number two He has done a marvelous therapeutic work in all of our lives so we should want to serve Him. We have a desire to serve Him because we can never give back to Him what He gave to us, but within us, we would want to. And He has called us to that, to serve one another. Nadia and I were talking this week, and she reminded me of a verse. If you have your Bibles, open up to Zephaniah, chapter 3. When's the last time you ever opened up to Zephaniah? I know some of you are saying, where in the world is that book? Well, back up four from Malachi, okay? Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. It's interesting, Zephaniah. Because God is revealing to Zephaniah some really severe judgments against Judah, against Israel, and against the nations. But look what he says here in the very end of the book, beginning at verse 14, chapter 3, verse 14 of Zephaniah. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you through Jesus. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. Now look at verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst. Hallelujah. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. And he will exult over you with loud singing. Now, that word exult, because Najee remembered that this is a verse that sometimes says, he will dance over you with loud singing. And in the church, we don't dance. So translators don't put dance in there. They put exult. So I went back to Hebrew and said, what does that word mean? It means moving in a circular motion. Or it means leaping for joy. Sounds like dancing to me, doesn't it, to you? And the amazing thing is that the Bible says here that God dances over us with loud singing. That alone ought to just make me want whatever you say, King Jesus. I'm here. I'm ready. Let's go. Let's do it. C.S. Lewis, as he's trying to help us understand the trinity of God, says in Christianity, God is not a static thing, but a dynamic, pulsating activity, a life, almost, a kind of drama, almost, if you will, not think me irreverent, a kind of a dance. How do we explain the Trinity? Timothy Keller in his book, Jesus the King, just kind of describes it this way, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are pouring love and joy and adoration into each other, each one serving the other. They are infinitely seeking one another's glory, and so God is infinitely happy. And if it's true that this world has been created by this triune God, then ultimate reality is a dance. Picture, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in this unity, tremendous unity of love and and, and just there ready and wanting to serve each other. But what happens to us? In our self-centered life, we stand here and we say, everybody else can orbit around me. And we end up by ourselves. God is not like that. God is dancing over us, his church. And that tremendous unity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, out of that flows a tremendous love to the world. And so if God is into dancing, don't you think he's inviting you and me to come and dance with him? To be a part of that? To be a part of a self-giving love that says you're more important than I am. You're more beautiful than I am. You are more important to God than I am. Because it frees us all up to encourage and build each other up and strengthen each other and to serve one another in the kingdom of God. But when in our self-centeredness we stand and wait for everybody to orbit around us, we stand alone. So I want to call you this morning to a time of repentance and confession. A time for you to renew your commitment to God and his church. Jesus is our king. He has done a tremendous amount of therapeutic work in our lives. And now he calls us to serve him. Whenever, wherever, whatever he calls us to do. And if we had that relationship with the Trinity like God wants us to have, understand he loves us unconditionally. I don't even understand that. I need it. I don't understand it. But he does because he is love. That's what flows in there. And he says, come, join me. Let it flow in your life. Let us flow together. Let us be the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ that he wants us to be in the world today. Let us be his people. I invite you to stand with me now. But I also invite you to take whatever position that you feel God is leading you to take at this time. We're going to sing this song. I give my life away. I give my life away so you can use me, God. I give my life away so you can use me. It's not in your bulletin. We're just going to help you sing it this morning. Maddie and I are here, and we're just going to help you sing it. Feel free to kneel, feel free to bow down, feel free to stand, sit, whatever position you feel led to do. Let's sing it with us now.
1: I give myself away. I
0: give myself
1: away. I give myself away. So you can use me. Sing that again. I give myself away.
0: I give myself away I give, give
1: myself away, away. So, so you can you sing that one more time I give myself away, away. I give myself, away. I give myself away. myself away Give myself away
0: voices. I give myself away. I give myself away. I give myself away. away. Sing it out.